Everybody glad you're here? I thank God for you. I love you. I apologize if I didn't get to greet everyone uh, personally. Uh, if you're here for the first time, man, we are grateful that God has brought you. We want to greet those of you that are joining us online. We, we love you and can't wait till you're here with us uh, in person. Uh, let me start today. We're closing out a series of messages, fully engaged, about our relationship with Jesus. And let me start with two questions. One, what's your trouble? You got big trouble, bad trouble, you got terrible trouble, everybody's got trouble. What's your trouble? More important question is this, is Jesus your triumph? Is he your triumph? Are you just stuck in the trouble? Are you surviving the trouble? Is Jesus your triumph? Hold in mind this gruesome trouble, this scene of gruesome trouble, 12 men, all Jesus followers are stripped to the waist. They are forced to lie on their backs under the angry, critical, attacking eye of the religious authorities. By each man is an executioner holding a whip with a long length of leather. When he receives the nod from the religious leader, each executioner lays 12 lashes, bursting the skin, bringing blood, 12 lashes on the chests of all 12 men. Then they are made to turn over on their hands and knees. And they receive another 26 lashes. The executioners, they walk away, their whips dripping with blood. But let me show you how these Christ, that's not even paid for yet. <laughs> let me show you how these Christ followers walk away from the incident. The Bible says, the apostles left happy. Are you kidding me? The apostles left beaten, bloody, in pain, with wounds that might never heal, scars forever. The apostles left happy. They didn't get the happiness from the beating. You don't get happiness from any trouble. You get the happiness from God who gives the joy in the midst of the struggle. They left happy to have been considered worthy to be dishonored for talking about Jesus. Happy. Happy. I think that these guys, as they walked away happy with the joy that only God could give, the Holy Spirit brings to each of their minds a promise that Jesus had made to them three years earlier. At the time, they didn't get it. They were clueless, confounded, confused by what Jesus said. But now they get it because they had personally experienced it. Here's the promise Jesus gave in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Happy, again, happy, happy are you. Happy are you, happy are you, happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and tell all kinds of evil lies against you because you are my followers. Be happy and glad. That word in the Greek for glad uh, is like jumping for joy. What would get you jumping for joy? I mean, serious, what would get you jumping for joy? The Packers in the Super Bowl? The Bears in the Super Bowl? That's a dream. 
Be happy and jump for joy. Why? For great reward is kept for you in heaven. This is how the prophets, they got persecuted too, even though they lived well before you. Now this is the climatic conclusion of the opening of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we know it's the climax because he makes multiple use of the Greek word makarios. If you've been with us in this series, you know that makarios means like happiness on steroids. Happy on, not this everyday run-of-the-mill happiness that's here today, gone tomorrow. Bad stuff happens, so you're not happy anymore. No, this is the kind of happiness that comes only from God, and it's got staying power in the midst of struggle. So let's consider the words of Jesus once more. Jesus says, happy on steroids are those who are persecuted. Now, the Greek word for persecuted is diako, and it means to suffer trouble. Happy are those who suffer trouble. Now, Jesus says this right after giving a, a litany, a whole list of all the big benefits of being fully engaged in a real relationship with him. And so here's his list. If you want to know, he's trying to entice you. He's trying to give an allure. He's trying to invite you and to be fully engaged with him. Here's the big benefits. Jesus says this, you get to go to heaven. Hey, you get comforted. Everybody needs comfort, but you get comforted by God himself. You get God's power to overcome your weaknesses. God will satisfy you. God will show you mercy. You will personally experience God. You will be a child of God. And then here's the big climax. Boop. To be fully engaged with Jesus means to suffer trouble. So where do we, where do we sign up, right? I mean, who needs more trouble? There's a, a false notion going around in some Christian circles today. It's a lie. And like all good lies, it has a hint of the truth and then a twist of the truth into a lie. The hint of the truth, or here, here's what's being thought or played out in some Christian circles. God is good, that's the truth. But the statement goes like this, God is good, comma, nothing terrible will ever happen to me. It's a lie. Everybody suffers terrible trouble. Everybody, everybody. You don't have to believe in Jesus and you're gonna suffer terrible trouble. I'm gonna suffer terrible trouble. I am right now, but I'd rather do my trouble with Jesus than try to do it all on my own. Everybody, so what happens when people buy into this false notion that yeah, God is good. As a result, I'll never suffer any trouble. When they do, and they will, they, we always do sooner or later. Jake and Miriam's son, JJ, my grandson, was only five weeks old when he had to have his first surgery. That's pretty soon in a person's life. Deb and I are in our early 50s. Forgive me, Father, for lying. <laughs> I'm, I'm 72, Debbie's 71, and trouble has hit us in our senior years. Terrible trouble, but sooner or later, everybody experiences trouble. And if you believe the false notion, hey, God is good, as a result, I won't suffer any trouble. When you do, and you will, then you're like mad at God. What's the deal? If you're all good and you're all powerful, why am I suffering all this trouble? Everyone suffers terrible trouble at some time or another. 
As Jake referenced earlier, for our family, it looks like Alzheimer's for my Debbie. Apart from a miracle, um, she just gets worse all the time. Some of you that know me, you know that I have, uh, my sight is so impaired, uh, if I'm five feet from you, I I can't really see your face. That has an effect on my ability to drive a car. And sometimes you forget, about a month ago, I had serious restrictions put on me because of my impaired sight. I can't drive over 10 miles from my home. I can't drive over 40 miles an hour. I can't drive at night. And so I drive with my eyes closed. I'm just kidding. But last week, I forgot. I forgot about it. We're going to do something that we regularly do. And I just realized as we're going to this place that it's farther than 10 miles from our home. And I'm on roads that have a speed limit in excess of 40 miles an hour. And I'm praying, dear Jesus, let all the policemen be catching bank robbers. Don't let me get pulled over. Everybody's got trouble. But I got to tell you, there is a level of joy that is only experienced as we suffer trouble for the sake of Jesus. Not for my stupidity. (laughs) I suffered trouble for my stupidity. Not for our irresponsibility. We've all suffered trouble because of our irresponsibility. No, this is trouble that you experience for the sake of of Jesus. Joy, a level of joy that you only are given from God as you suffer for his sake. Now, did you know there's an entire book of the Bible written about joy, how to have joy, how to keep stirring up the joy within you? It's written by this guy named Paul. And as Jake referenced earlier, he's incarcerated. He's in change 24-7 as he writes this book on joy. And here's what he writes to Jesus' followers in his day. He writes this way. You have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Jesus for your finances, trusting in Jesus for your salvation, trusting in Jesus for your relationship, trusting in Jesus for your mental health, trusting in Jesus for your life, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Jesus himself was very straight up, honest, and upfront about the fact that we will all go through real trouble, sometimes terrible trouble. Here's what he said to his followers. Jesus said, in this world, if you're alive, if you're breathing, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. Jesus said, I've overcome the world. Not only did he overcome every kind of trouble the world could throw at him. I mean, when he, when he, when he, he would heal people. He would heal people. So many people. So many, everybody in this room got healed and it would just leave him absolutely exhausted. He went without food and got really hungry. He would go without drink, get really, really thirsty. But the, but, but the most horrific trouble happened when he died in our place for our sin. On the cross, he got all the punishment we deserve for everything that we've done wrong, thought wrong, said wrong. That was the worst. But notice in his trouble, in the most severe, agonizing, excruciating trouble that anyone can ever imagine, maybe beyond our imaginations, even in the midst of that terrible trouble, worst kind of trouble, Jesus is showing love. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's extending forgiveness to his executioners, even in the worst kind of trouble. 
But not only did Jesus announce, declare, hey, I've overcome every kind of trouble. He invites us to be overcomers as well. In fact, in the opening pages of the book of Revelation, he has another list. He says this, to anyone who overcomes, here's a big benefit. And as I read these to you, just a second, I'm sorry. I want you to notice how remarkably similar they are to the big benefits of being fully engaged with Jesus. Here are the big benefits from the book of Revelation on overcoming your trouble. Check it out from the word of God. You will get to go to heaven. Number two, you'll avoid going to hell. Number three, you get intimacy with Jesus himself. You get spiritual authority. You get new life in Jesus. You get a personal experience of God and you get to be a child of God, whether it's at the beginning of his ministry or after his resurrection and ascension in the book of Revelation, he announces these big benefits of overcoming trouble. So again, let me ask you, Jesus is inviting you to overcome your trouble. What's your trouble? What's your trouble? Big trouble, bad trouble, terrible trouble. What's your trouble? And is Jesus your triumph? I want to introduce you to some true-to-life overcomers in our church. I met Walter Dort over 20 years ago when Deb and I were in the process of adopting our son, uh, Wilkie. We were in Haiti. That's where Walter grew up, on a little island, poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere, hard place to live, even when things are good. And right now, things are absolutely terrible. Um, Little money, cost of food, out of sight. No functional government, so the island is controlled by criminal gangs. And um, Walter, would you come up with me and uh, your wife, Sony, and uh, your daughters, please? (coughs) Um, So... Walter, as did Sony and the girls, they grew up in a dark, difficult place um, like Haiti. Against all odds, uh, Walter um, got to go to a Christian college, graduated, became a pastor. Uh, For years, led his church, served his community, quite a bouquet, and... um, Built a school for children to help lift them out of poverty. But with things the way they've been in recent years, the the criminal gangs are just out of control. And I mean, every Protestant pastor in Haiti faces opposition from voodoo priest. Uh, I mean, if people are turning to Walter for help, then they're not going to the witch doctor for a made-up medicine or curses or charms or whatever. So the, the, the voodoo priests hate the Protestant pastors. But, but the most deadly and terrifying of uh, trouble for Walter and Sony were the threats from the gangs. Um, they threatened to kill Walter and his wife and children. They threatened to kidnap him. They said, well, that we're desperate for guns and drugs. We need money. We'll do whatever it takes um, even if it means kidnapping or killing you to get money. 
And so it just got worse. In fact, these, these bad guys, they said they had tried to kidnap Walter a number of times, but when they did, they felt like there was some force uh, moving against them. But it got so bad that Walter got Sony and uh, Dini and Dayu out of Haiti and to some relatives in Florida. And then it just escalated out of sight. And uh, Walter had to leave uh, Haiti to save his life. And um, he told me that the living conditions in Florida, though they were Florida, it was still absolutely miserable for he and his family. But thank God, by God's grace, we thank God by his mercy. We thank God that he arranged for Walter to come miraculously to come and be a part of our life, our church, our ministry. And we want to keep him here. Um, <clears throat> So, Jake, if you'll come and help me. Um, there's a legal process that's involved in them being able to stay. Um, and, and so I just want to pray that God do for them what he did for us in our adoptions and um, that we, we overcome that process and they are able to continue to serve. Um, come here, kids. Father, you are a faithful God. And we call down your goodness on Walter and Sony, Dayu and Dini. We thank you, Lord, that you have them here. We thank you, Lord, that you've rescued them from danger. And Lord, um, by your grace, we've come this far by faith with them. Lord, by your grace, would you continue to work in the legal system so that every T is dotted, every, every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and all the Forms are filled out just right, whatever money is needed at the right time uh, so that they can stay here, uh, Lord, and be a part of our church, continually protected and loved for the sake of your name. In Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you. Yep, I love you. I love you, Sonia. I love you, Dini. I love you, Dayu. I'll tell you something about Walter. He is happy. Sony, his wife, she is happy. The girls are happy. Blessed are the persecuted. Happy on steroids are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now here in the U.S., we don't take a lot of heat for loving Jesus, serving Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Um, hardly anything at all is ever gonna, I mean, you're not gonna be arrested if you go outside after the service. You're not gonna be, no one's gonna threaten to kidnap you. They'd bring you back anyway. Just kidding. But here, here in our country, um, our witness to the goodness of God um, and for Jesus is more in how we overcome the trouble that we suffer. Just like I have trouble in my life with my eyesight, my type 1 diabetes, uh, my Debbie's Alzheimer's. You have trouble in your life. It's real trouble, sometimes bad trouble, terrible trouble, trouble that's never going to go short of a miracle. My sight is not going to improve. I'm always going to be a diabetic. My Debbie will continue to decline. Um, but I've got neighbors that know our situation and look into my life. And you've got neighbors and family members and coworkers who know your trouble and they watch you in your trouble and how you live by God's grace in your trouble, speaks to them of a good God, speaks 
to them of a God who is with you and will not leave you and will not forsake you. A God who empowers, a God who comforts, a God who shows compassion, a God who is full of mercy, a God who sent his son into great trouble and did not spare his life, but gave him up for us all and raised him from the dead that we might have victory as well. Would you place that next slide on the screen, please? Our witness here in the U.S. for Jesus is more in how we overcome any kind of trouble we suffer. It's not some of the stuff we have that's, a, that's trouble is not going to go away. It's how we live for Jesus in the midst of the struggle. And there is joy. My Debbie, I mean, I do pray every day that she will sense the presence of Jesus at the core of her being. But I believe she is sweeter, more loving, often confused. But she has the joy of Christ in the midst of her struggle. Let me tell you the story of two stories, two other men, overcomers, One was William Tyndale. He lived in uh, 15th, I'm sorry, 16th century uh, England. And um, at that time in England, it was against the law um, for you to read the Bible. Uh, You had to know Latin because the only Bibles available were written in Latin. But the only persons allowed to read the Bible were Catholic priests. And William Tyndale, his dream was that every citizen of his nation from the youngest farm boy to the highest royalty would be able to read the word of God in their own language in English. Everybody with a Bible in English. Well, he he wants to translate it. So the religious authorities, the Catholic church was going to kill him. And so he escapes with his life from England and goes to Germany. In Germany, he translates the entire New Testament from the Greek, it's original, what it was originally written in, from the Greek and into English, and then smuggles the New Testament in English back into Great Britain. Oh my gosh, there is a sure, people are tremendous, the Catholic Church is tremendously upset. But he goes on to translate from the Hebrew the first five books of the Old Testament, but that's when he gets caught. The Catholic authorities show up in Germany, you know, like kicking down the door, barging in, grabbing him. And there's a priest in this arresting party and the priest says, hey, what you've done is wrong. The people don't need the Bible. People wouldn't understand the Bible anyway. All the people need is the law of the Pope and the law of the Pope is greater than the word of God. And William Tyndale became famous for responding to that priest with these words, He said, if God spares my life, I will see that the the boy who drives a plow knows more of the scripture than you do. Way to go, Bill. Way to trash talk, baby. (laughs) Give that priest a little smack. Um, God did not spare his life. Just like God is not sparing me from diabetes or sparing my impaired eyesight. He was transported back Uh, to Great Britain, where he was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death for translating the word of God into English. He was tied to the stake, uh, given one last chance to uh, renounce the word of God 
and he refused. And when he refused, he was strangled to death and then his body burned at the stake. Well, a guy named John Rogers decided to take up where William Tyndale left off and he began to translate the Old Testament, all the, all the rest of the books in the Old Testament from the Hebrew into English. Now they had an English Bible, a Bible in English for everyone except, and it was, this was such an overwhelming influence that King Henry at the time caved in and said, okay, okay, okay. There can be one English Bible in every church, but it has to be chained to the altar so no one can take it home. Thanks, Hank. And that was the case until Bloody Mary came into reign. Queen Mary called Bloody Mary because she executed hundreds of Protestant pastors. But the first pastor she wanted to kill was John Rogers. She had him arrested, tried, convicted, sentenced to death. And history records that as John Rogers was escorted to the stake that his wife and children went with him, he was bound to the stake to be burned alive. They asked him, gave him one last chance to renounce the word of God. Before he could respond, his little son shouted, don't do it, dad, don't do it. And he was burned at the stake. Um, how, how many of you have a Bible? How many of you own a Bible? Yeah, you know why you do? Because William Tyndale and John Rogers took a stand for Jesus. You can read your Bible in freedom. You can study your Bible. I mean, if you don't, it's on you, but you can. You can own a Bible. You can read a Bible. You can study a Bible because William Tyndale and John Rogers took their stand for Jesus. And you know what? We may live in a different time, in a different kind of country, in a different kind of situation, but we can take our stand for Jesus too. I mean, you being here today, that's a part of you taking a stand for Jesus. I'm gonna go worship my God. I'm gonna go hear his word. I'm gonna go give my life to Christ. I mean, you can take a stand for Jesus by serving in the church. You, you can take a stand for Jesus by giving regularly out of every pay period. That's taking a stand for Jesus with your finances. Last night, a six-year-old girl, and I tell you, man, it got me. Um, she took a stand for Jesus by being baptized. And it got me, I'm always concerned about children. I want to make sure they understand what they're doing, that they're aware of their sin, that they know they need a savior, and that they are willing to trust in Jesus to, to save them. And being with her, um, it was so compelling. As she expressed her faith, as she enunciated uh, her faith in Jesus, her surrender to him, her, the forgiveness she found for her sins, her salvation. But mostly, my Debbie was six years old when she was baptized. And still in the midst of her struggle, every day, she thinks it's a day to go to church. We had to clean out our office this week. Someone else was going to uh, take that space. And it was a, tell you, it was a painful, painful struggle uh, for us. Uh, but I brought the stuff home and kind of set them up in a corner of our house. But um, Debbie just said, I'm just going to show grace. Baptized at six and now at 71, still in love with Jesus in the midst of it all. A last service, an 18-year-old boy 
man, excuse me, and a young girl took their stand for Jesus in baptism. And now it's your chance. I mean, if you've been buried with Christ under the water, been raised up by the supernatural power of God to have new life, that was your beginning stand for Jesus. And now you get opportunities for more standing for Jesus. And if you've never been buried with him, been raised with him from the watery grave, I would invite you to take your stand for Jesus this day. Or maybe in your trouble, you want someone to pray with you, to call down a touch of God and of his goodness on some trouble in your life. Please feel free to come right to the front. It's our joy to pray with you. So if you'd stand with me, please. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. Our Father and our God, we delight ourselves in you. As the Apostle Paul said, it, it is our privilege to trust in Jesus in baptism. It is our privilege to go through trouble and give evidence of the love and the power and the grace of Jesus in our lives. We thank you for those who've gone before us who took their stand for Jesus. And now it's our turn for our children, for our grandchildren, for the generations to come, Lord. We take our stand for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wire podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and follow us on our social media platforms. That way you can stay up to date with what's happening here at Central. And as always, have a great week.